she's scandalous, but she's also fabulous. Scandalous. 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 If you don't know, now you fucking know. Scandalous. Notorious. She's so scandalous. Now. He's a symbol of reinvention and transcendence with his new podcast, Stoke the Fire. His music just might save or inspire you. He sings, he screams, and he doesn't play nice when it comes to being one of the most influential metal vocalists of our time. Welcome to the show, Jesse Leach, singer of Kill Switch Engage. So Jesse, are we keeping the PMA, yay or nay? First of all, thanks for the intro. Uh, second of all, yeah, I definitely strive to keep that PMA. I think the misconception is with the PMA thing is you don't have bad days, or you don't get grumpy or angry or sad. I do all those things, but I make a real concerted effort to stay positive no matter what and see life through the lens of positivity and beauty, regardless of what the hell's going on. So yeah, keeping the PMA for sure. I love the way that you talked about that. And it is a kind of stopping yourself before you get too far, before you just lose it. Like don't let five seconds of your day ruin your entire day. Yeah. And there's a lot of that these days. I'm sure you can attest, anyone can attest to that. I, I think it, between just being conscious of things, being conscious of your breath, breathing deeply is a huge thing, meditation, uh, and just sort of seeing the bigger picture. You know, it's easy to do that when you live in a beautiful place like I do too. And I think that's something that helps me a lot is my environment up here where I live in uh, the Catskill Mountains. It's huge to my mental health, especially this past year. Absolutely. And that's funny. You said breathe in, breathe out. We were just having some audio visual issues on my side or yep, <laughs> you were saying breathe. And I was like, okay, breathe. Okay. Yes. Breathe. <laughs> there you go. We forget, we forget to do it. The deep diaphragmatic breathing is incredible for your head and for your body and for your mind. Uh, yeah. I can go off on that. Cause I had to use it recently in a semi-emergency ahead of nature, but we can get to that a little bit later. <laughs> no, we're getting to it now. That's actually <laughs> what's going to be the first thing I asked. So Number one, I'm like a huge horror movie person. So I love horror movies. Has Thanks. there ever been anything scary that happened to you in the woods? Yeah, I, th I think yesterday we had a moment of scariness. Yeah, I've had a couple. I've had a couple, but I think nature constantly teaches you to get better at being, you know, adept in the wilderness. Because I'm one of those people that loves to get lost out in the wilderness. If I'm going to be real with you, I've had some crazy cryptozoological experiences that I don't talk about very often. I'll stick to nat just nature in general for now. So yesterday I was on a hike, um, a pretty normal hike that a lot of the tourists do around here in Woodstock, New York. And it's called Overlook Mountain. It's an old abandoned burned down hotel ruins up there. It's beautiful. It's super cool. It's creepy. And during the uh, summer, there are rattlesnakes everywhere. So it's like this really crazy place. It's a destination for a lot of people. But in winter, you don't get a lot of people up there. And you can go off trail. You can bushwhack. You can go down to the river there. It gets beautiful. So my girlfriend and I chose to do a trail that you'd normally need snowshoes for which means every other step you're falling a foot, foot and a half in the snow, bouncing on the snow, falling in the snow. We kept falling. We were determined to make it down and we kept going and I got waist deep in the snow. We hit water. There was a waterfall underneath our feet, like a stream. So we ended up getting our feet really soaked. The uh, temperature change shifted a little bit. My feet were burning. They were numb. Couldn't feel. We had to keep stopping. Sun was going down, temperatures dropping, and we were still miles away from where we needed to be. So yesterday was definitely a stressful day, but thankfully her and I um, are kind of students of this guy, Wim Hof, who's a, a guy who climbed Mount Everest in, yeah. in, 
the shorts. Wim Hof method. Wim Hof, yeah, that's it. So we did that breathing technique and actually the numbness started to go away. We started to feel more energized. We were dealing with the cold much better because of his techniques. And it actually helped us with our minds and we pushed through and it took us about three hours to get out of there, but we did it just as the sun was going down. There was definitely a moment where I was like hearkening back to like nature programs I've watched being like, oh, we're going to be those stupid people that the rangers are going to find. We're going to be huddled around some fire in the snow. Yeah, I've had a few of those crazy incidences, but they're great teachers when you're out in the wilderness to get better and more adept every time you get out there because you've got to be careful. You can't take it for granted. Nature will definitely keep you in fucking check. Wow. So that's a better story than I knew I would get. That's really scary. <laughs> for a few moments i can't believe like your feet were going numb oh yeah and the burning and then when you lose feeling that's when you gotta be careful i mean you're basically slushing around in ice for hours so you had to keep stopping wringing my socks out yeah it was it sucked <laughs> wow lesson learned you wear your snowshoes on deeper trails don't go down that way definitely wow. felt a little foolish out there because I, I try to be you know fairly good with nature scenarios. I've been going out and hiking for most of my life, but yeah, yesterday was kind of a dumb cocky move on my part. And my girlfriend was like, why did we do that? <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. So have you been watching any nature shows during quarantine? I watch nature shows on a regular basis. Sometimes when I have trouble falling asleep, I go from nature programs. Uh, David Attenborough, who's a British naturalist, is probably one of my favorite voices on the planet. In any show that he narrates, he puts me to sleep. He's in the good way. I absolutely love him because I've watched his specials, you know, like the Blue Planet, all of his stuff. I've seen all of it so many times that I just put it on and it's just like a happy place. But I'm obsessed with that. I'm obsessed with alien documentaries and Sasquatch doc documentaries. Those are kind of my big Big three. Ancient Aliens. I love that show. I don't believe everything, but I love it. It's just entertaining. Yeah, I have my definite beliefs in Sasquatch, which is another topic completely. So I know you want to save most of that for your podcast, but ah, is, is the Sasquatch the crypto zoology yeah, thing yeah. that you were talking about? Yeah, I've had a few, about five experiences that make me truly consider the idea. I've never seen it with my eyes, but all the experiences you hear about, the tossing of stones, the smells, the noises, the gibberish, the no wood knocking, I've gotten rattled in my tent. I've gotten harassed uh, out in the desert by something. It, I've had these crazy experiences that I cannot explain. And then I've heard detailed accounts from other people on countless podcasts and documentaries that all match up to what happened to me. So it just kind of makes me feel like, yeah, there's a really good possibility that we as humans don't know everything in nature and there's possibly an undiscovered thing or things species out there that is smart enough to avoid detection smart enough not to leave a trace occasional footprint but yeah i've had some crazy experiences that make me a believer in short this is really exciting because i haven't talked about a lot of this with other musicians and i really love talking about it. it's a huge interest of mine so do you believe in paranormal things as well I grew up in a haunted house and my dad was a minister. So absolutely 100% believe in the spirit world, the light side of it and the dark side of it. I've seen both and experienced both. Um, I've got stories that will make the hair stand up on people's uh, arms and backs for sure. Me too. Sometimes I'm envious of people who don't believe and they're just like, whatever. And I'm like, dude, no. So I was in a hair salon getting my hair done and there's this guy next to me in a chair and he's like, oh, I know. I just really wish I could experience something. I just really wish. And I like, I had a hair salon moment where I was like, darling, no, like don't invite anything in. What are you doing? Stop yeah, it. Yeah. That's the thing you always, always hear about. And like a lot of 
people's stories start with. I was playing with the Ouija board. I'm like, oh, hell no, you weren't. Come on, man. No, I have a girlfriend who didn't believe in like Ouija and she wanted to get it as decoration for her house. And I was like, I'll never come over. Yeah, don't. I'll never come over to her house ever. I know. It's crazy. Yeah, I'm a musician, but I, especially this past year and a half or so, I've just explored a whole other, just being home and sort of being getting comfortable in my own skin, staying still. Because when you're on the go, the interviews I'm so used to are so centered around an album or a tour. And now I'm just kind of like becoming more comfortable not talking about music and just talking about all the other stuff. I don't know. It's fun. It's fun for me. I talk about music all the time, which don't get me wrong. I still love to talk about music, but if I have the opportunity to sneak in some other stuff, I love it. It's great. Especially anything, you know, like we're talking about right now, this is the shit I love to talk about. I love that. That's actually that it's a huge interest of mine. Like the other podcasts I listen to are paranormal and they're true crime and they're, you know, bitchy, witchy things like that. So yeah, yeah it's a huge interest of mine as well. Totally, man. I love all that shit. There's a podcast called Lore that I love to listen to. It's all old folklore. There's uh, one called Spooked that I love. That's like the people who've experienced the hauntings or whatever tell the stories themselves. You get to hear the emotion in their voice and they have kind of sound effects here and there. I love all that shit. I sometimes don't even listen to music. I'll just put that kind of stuff on podcasts and just listen to it while I do shit around the house. I love it. Yeah. Well, and it's funny, like when you listen to too many podcasts, like during quarantine, my house is nothing but Italian art. I have my dogs and like my girlfriends, but I need some male energy. So I listened to History Hyenas because it was just like dude, man, bro energy. (laughs) And I hadn't been around men in so long. And I was, I needed the fart jokes and I needed like the football talk and like the De Niro talk or whatever. It was just male energy. Yeah. It's funny what you miss though. You're right. During quarantine is human interaction, the shit I used to take for granted. And sometimes the shit I would avoid because I was pretty much a semi-hermit on tour. Like I days off, I'll just spend by myself. But now like I'm just dying for any sort of interaction. Thankfully up here where we live, you know, it's still socially distanced, but you can go to a bar and listen to people talk and laugh and you know, you're still distanced from them. But that's one of my favorite things to do. And I don't even drink that much anymore. I just like sitting in the bar and just being in that atmosphere because it feels so nice now that it was just gone for so long. Just hearing people laugh in the distance in the restaurant is like, ah, I love it. (laughs) And it's not a soundtrack. It's, you know, it's real people. Yeah, oh my gosh. Actual people. I know it's, this year has been so nuts, man. Well, there's one venue here I've talked about and it's come and take it live and they've actually been having shows. So it's not like the big ones on the tours, but like really good local bands. That's awesome. Last weekend, weekend and a half, I got a notification that the venue was going live and I was like, what is there a show going on? And I freaked out, got dressed and I only caught one song, but there was a whole metal show that I missed and oh, I got wow. one song in but that's right texas that's right you guys are like already doing it that's great yeah good for you man i miss all that shit so much yeah they're like blacktop mojo they're a band here they've been playing my girlfriend's a massive massive fan of that band oh really oh Oh, how funny oh yeah nice do they know who she is are they Um, friends i don't know i think she dated one of them at one point Oh, gotcha. Okay. I don't know my, st- I get my story incorrect and she'll kill me, but she's either <laughs> one, she's a massive fan of those guys. I hear in the car every once in a while, she'll play a couple songs by them. That dude can sing. Damn. Soul yeah. motherfucker. Yeah. That dude can wail. He's a really good singer. Yeah. I always loved the first interview I ever did with him. It was so funny. You know, I asked that question of guys, I know it's so hard just staying out on the road and, you know, going from town to town, you know, it can really, it can really wear on you. And he was like, what? Are you kidding me? 
I love it. What are you talking about? This is my dream. It was very funny because artists and musicians talk about, hey, you know, I miss this, what you miss out on. And it was, it was funny for me as an interviewer, you know, just someone isolate that and be like, are you out of your mind? What are you yeah. talking about? This is it's what I funny. live for. Yeah, there's a lot of people like that. And it's funny, I definitely used to be 100% like that. But now I'll be honest with you, I'm a little torn. I've actually really enjoyed just being a sort of normal town person here. I've never really had that opportunity in the past 10 years. So like, you know, at first it was, I was not comfortable in it. I was very sort of anxious to get back on the road and do what I do and like feed that buzz that keeps you going on tour. But man, I really flipped the switch, you know, life slowed down and I slowed down, you know, sort of took a deep breath and reassessed my life and yeah, I'm in like the best mental state I've ever been in my life right now. And I'm like in love with somebody who's amazing after coming out of a pretty toxic relationship. Like my life is good. The only thing missing is the music. But when I start touring again, I'm going to miss home. It's like a whole new thing. It's crazy, man. But, you know, balance. Balance is key. So mm-hmm. and we're Killswitch is getting up there in, in age. So I'm sure we'll be uh, probably not touring as much as we have in the past. We'll see what happens. Yeah, who knows? I don't know. There's so many bands that they're still doing it. I mean. Yeah, we love it. We're still going, but you know. Yeah. A couple of guys in the band and now myself included just need a little balance because there was a time where we were just hitting the road hard for a long time, just getting burnt the fuck out. And then, you know, I had my vocal surgery, which slowed me down for a while. But then from that point on, once I got the surgery, we opened for Iron Maiden and like life just went we toured nonstop again after that. Real big, real quick. Yeah. That shit was amazing though. Yeah. So real quick before we move on, because I would kick myself if I didn't ask, what are a few stories uh, growing up for you in the haunted house? To be paranormal, like we're talking about. Yeah, no, I'm into it. I love it. I I love it. Yeah. So yeah, my my entire life from an early age, I would see apparitions. I would experience things. I'd feel stuff crawling on my bed. I would, you know, have sleep paralysis. And my father being a minister, being around spiritual energy of churches and people, there's a lot of stuff that goes on when you have people who are desperate to change their lives. And, you know, we always had anywhere from like a drug addict to an ex-con to homeless families in our house. My parents were very welcoming. They took the, the sort of golden rule to heart, word for word, so do unto others as you'd have done unto you. It created a really positive thing, but with that, you get different energies that shift. I think it really all peaked when we moved into my grandparents' old house after my grandmother passed away and my grandfather got sick and moved down to Florida. So we moved into that house and that house is built in 1920. Uh, two of my family members have passed away and then my my great uncle and my grandmother. Um, so there's already sort of a history of death there. But the crazy thing about that house was it wasn't the friendly sort of, oh, that's my grandmother, familiar spirit, like good feeling vibe kind of spiritual energy there was some dark shit going on in that house all right so here's probably the best one i've got my little sister who was four at the time uh was playing outside in the yard and my dad and i were working on the foundation of the house they were getting ready to move to indiana my dad was going to continue his studies because he's got two master's degrees and he's working on his phd the guy is a walking encyclopedia of theological information. So they were getting ready to move and leave me the house. This is right around when Killswitch started. And we actually recorded parts of Leverage's Breathing in this house, in this particular room. That's like crazy. So my sister's out playing in the yard. My dad and I are around the house and my sister comes up to me. You know, when you just feel someone staring at you, and I'm like, my back is to her. And I turn around, I look at her, and she's just staring at me straight in the face. And she says, Sally comes down from the attic at night, and she plays with me. But when she gets mad, she hisses at me. And I was like, 
I felt the hairs in the back of my neck stand up and I'm like, okay, so yeah. my parents and my sister are getting ready to leave me the house like in a couple days. And this is the thing my little sister says to me, because you know, kids, they have no, no filter. She just decided to tell me this. And I'm like, what did you just say? So she repeats herself. I get up immediately, you know, just kind of like in shock. And I go over to my dad and I'm like, so, so this happens. And he's like, oh yeah, Sally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your sister sees this old woman that comes down from the attic and he's being very casual about it very dismissive. And I'm like, why, what, <laughs> why did you not tell me this? He's like, yeah, I went in the, her room at three in the morning the other night and there was an indentation on the bed and she had a board game out and she was talking. So that was the exit of my parents and the entrance to me sort of living there by myself and having roommates. So this would lead to seeing a woman coming down from the stairs late at night. I'm um, having my collar, my belt buckle pulled when I tried to walk up the stairs. The ceiling fans would spin and stop. The keys would jingle. We'd hear disembodied voices. We had a New Year's party. It was 120 people, four bands at this place, packed house. And at one point in the party, we're all hanging out in the living room and people heard the disembodied voices I hear all the time. And people are like, what was that? I was like, yeah, welcome to the house. So I just, you name it, it's happened. Um, hundreds of dead black flies in the attic because the attic was a place of dark energy. You'd go up there and like the windows would be covered in dead black flies. And we could like do a Netflix movie. Right. We could do an entire podcast on just that house. And I still, to this day, to this day, even this, this past week, constantly dream of that house. Whenever I'm stressed or feeling anxious or like something's going on in my life that's not right or just subconsciously, that house pops up. The house itself doesn't matter what dream I'm in. I'm like, I know I'm in the house again. It freaks me out. Your dreams, like the fact that you dream about it and it pops up, yeah. that's huge. And I haven't lived in that house since two. 2006 yeah wow have you ever uh visited a medium or anything i have and i've got friends uh i actually spoke to a shaman about it and um he told me that i have an old woman that follows me i have a hawk that sits on my shoulder and is my spirit guide hence the red-tailed hawk that i now have and i completely embraced i don't know about the old woman yet i haven't met her but uh i did a uh, vision quest and i fasted and did psychedelics and went into the spirit world people are gonna think i'm nuts it's totally fine and i discovered my path and sort of changed my whole life and i've ever since then i've on a, been on a different path and have seen the world through completely different eyes uh and that's because of talking to a shaman and being around people who are or gifted. Mm -hmm. So was that like an ayahuasca experience? Uh, no, that was mushrooms on a very empty stomach, a couple of days of fasting and eating only mushrooms and going out into the woods by myself during a very transitional time in my life when I was still in a, a pretty toxic relationship, seeking answers and trying to figure out who I was and seeking protection from my heart. And that's this profound thing happened to me out there. And ever since then, I just, I don't know, things have changed. It's been incredible since then. My eyes were opened. Wow. I feel very warm and glowy listening to you talk about being in a different realm. Yeah, yeah. It's important. You have to be humble enough and willing to do that. I think anyone can do that. I think we live in a world where it's the antithesis of that. We live in such a distracted, social media driven, bickering division world where, you know, you're in a city, you can't even see the stars above your head. Like we've just so out of touch with how we're supposed to be living. Experiences like that led me to finally move out of the city and go to the place where I used to find refuge. And that's up here. 
And now I live where I used to like, you know, vacation after tour or a day if I'm feeling like screwed up, I would get in my car and just drive up here from Brooklyn and just be up here. So now living up here, I knew this was supposed to happen. I was pulled up here by a force. Well, I can't wait to watch you. I mean, everything you do from here, right? Someone who has that like enlightened state of mind, it's confidence to do what you know you're meant to do. And it's confirmation, confirmation, confidence, and having like enough love for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And I came with a lifestyle change, a diet change, everything. I've changed everything and it's been incredible. But yeah, I think it's, you're right. It's self-love. And that's something that's really hard for some people, including myself. Good chunk of time where I didn't have enough of it. And I was allowing people to step all over me and abuse me, you know, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, being a very empathetic person as well. So yeah, learning to set boundaries, learning to give yourself the benefit of the doubt. But you know, it's a work in progress. I am by no means a sort of holy man or, you know, I don't have all the answers. I think it's, it's about being open and about being willing to grow and continue to change and progress as a human. And part of that is just killing the ego. I think that's so important. And that's why I love psychedelic rituals. You know, if you read into a microdosing, all these things that people are, now it's all over the internet. It's a hashtag, but like legitimately that stuff changed my life. And it's not something I do on the regular basis anymore, but there was a time where I needed that to deal with my anxiety and my depression and suicidal thoughts years ago through therapy, therapists, friends, you know, spiritual leaders and that kind of experience, it just shifted me. And I learned that the ego has to die. You have to find humility. Once you find true humility, that's when you start to figure out who you are and and find that self-love. It's a total journey. It's something we'll do until the day we die if you're open to it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I was talking about this the other day with someone. It's funny when you're dating, like I'm probably the happiest person I've ever been in my entire life now. And I'm dating and it's kind of funny because we all look for something deep and we ask for it and we're like, oh, I want to meet someone here and there. But it's really like kind of risking your happiness that you've worked on and like, I'm good. I'm great. I put myself back together again from a really bad relationship myself. Yeah. And then now I'm good. And now I'm like dating again. That's like, huh, you know what I mean? It's kind of funny. Like when you, when you're in love with someone like so deeply, it kind of changes you and, you know, like to the depths of where it can go. And then coming back from that, it's kind of interesting. Like, okay, I'm dating again. I'd like to find someone, but if I do, wow, it's kind of funny that I risk this happiness that I've built and like put back together. Cause you're, you know, offering someone else up your happiness. Yeah, it's true. But if you find the right person, it it goes both ways, which, you know, for many, many years of my life, I didn't have that. And now I have a partner that is, she's like the iron sharpening iron. And it's rare to find that, trust me. And it took us a while to get there. When we first met, we were both kind of not in a good spot, but it does exist. There are people that can help you. And like, you know, she's, she's my best friend. And like, that's rare too. You know, you hear relationships, marriages, whatever people like, and there's always that out of the side of the mouth, like, ah, this you know, so-and-so and things are good, but goddamn. And like with her, she's just been, she's been like a life coach for me. She's been great and, and, and vice versa. You know, we sort of fill in the gaps where she's got stuff to work on. I'm pretty strong in that aspect. I grew up in a very sort of solid home with, you know, parents that loved each other and taught me the value of certain things. She grew up in a really broken home. So she's very much a war, a mental warrior. So she was able to like help strengthen the parts of my brain that we're not used to dealing with trauma and, you know, confrontation. I'm not, I've never been good with confrontation. I've always shied away from it. I'd rather just say yes to you to make you happy and, and not have to deal with confrontation. And she's the type of person that's like, don't yes me. Let's talk, like talk to me about what you want. Don't just say yes. Cause for most of my life I did. So 
yeah, we've been good for each other. It's been great. But yeah, you know, you have to be careful who you invest your energy in. And that's a huge thing. Like you're saying, you're like in a good place now. You don't want someone to come along and fuck it up. So you gotta be careful. You gotta have your defenses up. Yeah. I mean, shit, that's how life is. It's just a constant lesson. And unfortunately, a lot of people, and I'm sure you know them too, they're not okay. They let people shit on them. Like I know people in abusive relationships. I'm like, how do you, they're just stuck. They can't get out of it. And like, as an outsider, you're like, what's wrong with you? But when you're in it, sometimes you don't realize how bad it was, you know? And like, that's when you pull out of those situations, I'm sure you can attest to this too. You look back, you're like, how did I put up with that shit? Crazy, man. So is that how I got you on the podcast? You're afraid of uh, confrontation? Oh, no, no. (laughs) I'm just happy to talk to people, man. I've been doing like a lot of press for the podcast, you know, and then for Times of Grace, which I really don't have much to say because I don't have any updates, but I don't say no anymore to interviews. I used to say no to a lot of stuff, but now like I'm just trying to fill my time talking. I think it's good. It's just good practice social skills. It's good just to talk to people and stay open. Besides you have friends in common and you came at me through the Headbangers Con kind of angle. I was like, yeah, hell yeah. You have a good rep. So honestly, I think it's good to just start socializing again, start getting used to this kind of stuff because I truly believe we are going to see some changes this year as far as our social environment. You're already seeing it in Texas. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's it's good to practice it because for a while I was walking out of the house and freaking people out by the way I was smiling at them because I hadn't seen anyone in so long. I was yep. just all smiles and I was freaking people out, man. Like practicing is good. Yeah. I can't wait to see people's faces without masks on. Yeah, very much. Yeah. So one cool thing you can do in the woods is reflect and light a fire. So let's talk Stoke the Fire podcast. Yes, yes. So Stoke the Fire podcast was born out of an idea of the kind of things you talk about when you sit around a fire, the way humans interact around a fire, you know, the way you can see a shift in people. Like if you've ever sat around a fire with a group of people, something happens there. There's kind of a magic there. Even if you're in party mode, it just gets to this point where people just want to talk. They want to have interactions. It's this whole thing. So Matt Stocks, my partner in the podcast, who's been podcasting called Life in the Stock. <laughs> yeah. And he's really good at it. He's really good at interviewing and having a conversation. He's a good conversationalist. So I've been a fan of his for years now. And he's interviewed me a few times. And we did this live Q&A thing in Birmingham, England. We had a room full of people. I kind of just, you know, talked about my life with him sort of guiding me. We took questions and answers. It was a good two hours or so. And like, I left that event in the back of my mind going, that was powerful. The interaction I had with my audience without a band, without, you know, sort of just going, not going through the motions, but having a song to sort of hide behind, you know, and having to like really say what I think and feel. I realized that that's an important thing for me as an artist, because I do have a lot to share. And my lyrics have helped people, but I feel like my, the way that I live my life and, and the way that I see the world can help people as well. So it was a whole thing that just happened to me. And Matt and I kept in contact. We became really good friends that night. We stayed up till like five in the morning, just like talking life. And we hit it off and became good friends at that point. So that relationship developed over the years. And he pitched it to me one day. He's like, Hey, what do you think of like joining me? We'll do this sort of uh, tribute to Joe Strummer from The Clash, who was one of my favorite vocalists. I have him tattooed on my arm. And he used to do this thing at the Glastonbury Festival where he would light a fire and invite artists around to sit around a fire and talk. And I always thought that was such a brilliant idea. Take the microphones away, take the cameras away, take all the flash of press away and just sit around a fire and, and be a human with another artist and the beautiful things that will come out of that. So yeah, we just launched that and wanted it to be that type of a podcast where you feel comfortable. You're just hanging out with us and we're 
talking about the real shit, you know, going deep on stuff. We've already got a couple of guests lined up that are awesome. One in particular you will like because you like the the haunted stuff. So it's, um, yeah, it's just a passion project that just took off and Gas Digital got behind it. And now we're official. We're a show and I couldn't be happier. And when the world gets back to a more social environment, the plan is to take it on the road, actually light a fire, to have people sit around the fire, to throw mini festivals, to have DJs, to have performers, like make it a huge thing, not just a show, but this is the groundwork we're laying, you know, and it feels great. I love it. It just feels right. It's a nice progression for me in my career. I love that. So it really, so I didn't know the origin story of that was like backstage, just lighting a fire and having people sit around it. That's cool. It reminds me of after show parties. Totally. Yeah. People just, you know, mm-hmm. letting it all hang out. Joe Strummer had a way to do that. If you watch, there's a documentary about him. And every time I do this, I always forget the stupid name of it. It's not Westway to the World, but there's a documentary on Joe Strummer about his life after The Clash. So The Clash was a huge band, you know, playing Shea Stadium, sold out nights in a row. Going from that to being Joe Strummer without The Clash. And it's his journey trying to find his footing, the way he carried himself, flyering for his own shows on the boardwalk to younger kids that didn't know who he was, going to music festivals, electronic music festivals, trying to understand the new trend of what the youth were all about. This guy who was like a multinational superstar never changed. He just carried himself the same way as he did in the 70s up until the day he died. And all of the people that I know that spent time with him said he was just a humble guy. What you see is what you got. To me, that's inspiring. I aspire to be that way because I hate the rock star thing. I really do. I think it's so stupid and overplayed. This this lavish lifestyle, which doesn't even really exist for most people in, in my, my genre of music. You know, we're not rich people. We're not. People pretend. I've never been in love with the pretending to be something that I'm not or thinking that I'm better than. And uh, Joe is a great example of that. I don't think there's a lot of rock star mentality. I think... There was at one point in the 90s. Yeah, that's true. You're (laughs) right. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of like the last wave of it, if you think about it. It was like the 90s into the early 2000s. Yeah, that's very true. Well, that's a really cool story. I love that. It's awesome. I really appreciate that story. So talking about mental health, you share the message of therapy and, you know, being okay, not being okay. What's the most impactful thing that a therapist ever told you? Hmm. I think the most impactful thing said to me was learn to love yourself more. You're not giving yourself enough credit and admit when you're not doing okay and ask for help. Speak, like use your voice to speak aloud and say that you're not okay. Say that you need help. And it's still something I I have to work on of just like when I'm feeling something to say it. I'm so used to holding on to it and digesting it and shoving it down and trying to figure it out. And it manifests itself in so many different ways, whether it's, you know, being angry or turning towards alcohol and drugs to numb it or run from it. And just that's a process that because I've been told by wise people, you know, they probably said it better than I'm saying it now, but the message got to me. It was like, admit to yourself that you're not okay and start talking about it. And the more I started to talk about it, the more people I met along the way, I gained wisdom from them and then vice versa. It's a two-way street. And I started meeting all these people who were just like me that had to deal with anxiety and depression and dependency on substances sometimes. Just get out of your own head. And it was really empowering and eye-opening to be humble enough to say that, you know, it was so frowned upon and it's still a stigma. There's still people that, you know, will scoff and make fun of people when they talk about their mental health. And, you know, there's a whole attitude of like, suck it up and like, just get over it. What are you talking about? Uh, when you realize you're not just sad, it's actually much deeper than that. It goes to the chemical level. You're talking about disorders of the brain. 
and meeting people who are the same as me, it was a chain reaction of just opening my eyes and being awakened. It was because somebody just had me stay still and made me realize that I was going through something and I needed to talk. So I would say that's probably the most important thing. Talk about it, be about it, own it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you said it was really deep and it's really chemical. If you were to describe anxiety or depression to someone who is trying to understand someone in their life who has it, how would you say it feels for you? Like, what does it feel like? Yeah. Um, So depression, thankfully for me, has gotten a lot easier to deal with. But uh, in the past, it was something that I would get angry. So here's another thing that people don't realize. Those things are connected. Anxiety and depression are very connected. And anxiety manifests in very different ways through insecurities, through all kinds of things. It's not just what you think it is on paper. There's a whole, you know, just how metal has all these subgenres. There's all these subgenres of, <laughs> of anxiety and depression. And depression feels like a blanket, like a really heavy, heavy blanket on you, like an albatross on your shoulders that you just can't shake and you don't know why. And you get frustrated, you get angry because you feel like you should be better than that. You feel like you shouldn't, shouldn't be sad. You feel like, oh, I need to get out of bed. I need to do something. It's a lot of like, at least for me, I beat myself up a lot when I get depressed. And in reality, you have to allow the process to happen. But you also gain tools to like work to get out of it. You work to prevent it. There's a lot you can do, but it's a horrible feeling. And then you feel like people around you who don't understand, they're like, why can't you just snap out of it? Why are you always bummed out? Like all that shit just kills you because you can't shake it. It's something you can't describe. It, it is an imbalance of chemicals. And anxiety to me feels like I'm being choked out. Like it's, it feels like you can't breathe. And no matter what you do, I mean, I've paced around, I've gone through like long walks, I've gone on bike ride, anything to just get my blood going and, and try to like feel like I'm coming out of this panicky, like suffocating feeling. It's horrible. It's scary. You get scared. It almost feels like you're dying. If you get a really bad panic attack, you can think you're dying. And and my girlfriend's actually suffered enough where she actually rushed herself to the hospital, got into an ambulance and got there. And, and they were like, you just had a panic attack. She thought she was having a heart attack. So people who don't know, who don't experience these things, don't realize how incredibly hard they are to deal with and how the brain controls everything else. So if this is off, it manifests itself actually physically. And you can physically get sick from anxiety, depression. You can have disorders. You can have gut issues. The trickle-down effect to mental illness is astronomical. And some people who have physical ailments don't even realize they have anxiety. Most people don't even know. They don't even know how to put, oh, I have depression. I have anxiety. I am bipolar. And getting the wisdom to say that and to realize what it is, is a game changer because there was a point where I realized it. I didn't know that I had anxiety, but I used to always freak out about these crazy things. I'd break out in hives. I always had issues when I was a kid and I couldn't figure out what it was. But all that being said, there's a lot you can do between exercise and diet and breathing exercises and going to therapy and talking about it. All of these things really help you gain tools. So when you're triggered or something happens and you feel yourself spiraling, there's things you can do to sort of slow that process or break out of that process. And that's been huge for me. If this isn't what you're meant to do, and if you are the person that is supposed to help people, I don't know what else, right? I'm working on it, man. I don't know. I, I realize there's power to it, but you know, I've got a lot to learn too. So I feel like the more that I talk to people and the more I learn, I just find it easier to share and I'm not afraid to say it. And I think that's it too. Like a lot of people have wisdom on this subject, but they're just unwilling or afraid to talk about it. And to me, like, I just, I don't care what people think anymore. I just don't. 
I don't care. And I know I'm helping people. So, so be it. Sometimes I think you go throughout life and you think about different things. Like if I'm thinking about something where I was able to help someone, it's like, wow, if you can help one person, that is so rewarding. Yeah. And you're able to help so many people, but that's like, do you know how big of a deal that is? If you can just help one person. Mm. Yeah, indeed. And I think that's where it started for me was hearing about my lyrics, people. That's the one thing, you know, regardless of whether or not you're a fan of my voice or the band, which, you know, I get it, not for everybody. The one thing I definitely hold close to my heart is my lyrics because I work so hard at them and I know they have affected people. I've seen them tattooed on their skin and people write me on a pretty fairly regular basis about the impact that my words have had. So I just figured like that's the least I can do is, is take that part of my gift which is writing and and sort of talking about my emotions or the spiritual world or whatever you get out of my lyrics and applying that to just, you know, the podcast or just everyday stuff, doing interviews about it, you know, talking to people who run suicide prevention agencies or organizations. Like I just, I don't say no to that stuff because I know it's important work. So yeah, maybe this is a nice new path for me to go on. I feel really comfortable in it. So we'll see what the future holds. Absolutely. And I did want to share one app I've been using, not a plug, but um, I started using the Headway app. Yes. Have you heard of it? Yeah. 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 So many books on there that, oh, I've been meaning to read that. Oh, I've been wanting to read that. And it has so many great uh, mental health books on there. And it's just like cliff notes for these books. And it just tells you like, oh, do you have 10 minutes, 15 minutes? And it reads it to you in a monotone voice. And I think that's so huge. And that's like, that's uh, my favorite one off of that was the five second rule. Mm. of isolating when, okay, you know, I'm feeling this stop, I, you know, isolating it right there and stopping it right there and just taking five seconds. Okay. In five seconds, one, two, three, four, five. Okay. I'm going to go somewhere else with it. Okay. I'm going to do something completely different with it. And that really helped me out a lot. It's something that's so simple, but it's huge. It's being, being self-aware and, you know, learning your trigger points and learning when you're starting to feel a certain way. There's a lot to be shared. There's a lot of wisdom and I use breathing techniques. That's a huge thing for me is, is breathing. Like if you change your rhythmic breathing, it actually, the brain will follow. It actually works. It's crazy, you know, and also just fixating on something that's causing the anxiety. Cause that's a huge thing for me is a daily thing. Little bits of wisdom like that are great. Yeah, to head headspace, I think, is the breathing one. There's the one you're talking about that's uh, just for breathing and meditation. Yes, they're sort of like the two that have really help for sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we got so lost. <laughs> you're right. We took a breath and then we move on to the next thing. <laughs> The Scandalous Podcast is written and produced by me, edited by Chris Payer. If you like the show, please tell a friend or rate and review on iTunes. Follow me at Scandalous Official on Instagram and at Scandalous Says on Twitter. If you have any comments or feedback, feel free to DM me on Instagram or email me at press at scandalousofficial.com. I have Scandalous merch available at scandalousofficial.bandcamp.com. If you want to support the show, patreon.com slash scandalous podcast. And until next time, rockers, I'll see you later, metalheads. <laughs>